Hi, everyone. Welcome to the From the Hack podcast for week 11 of the 2018-2019 curling season. A bit of an abbreviated podcast this week, but we do have three excellent guests joining us to discuss last week's Masters Grand Slam of curling. We welcome Olympic gold medalist Agnes Nokenbauer of Team Hasselberg, making her first appearance on the podcast, and John Epping, fresh off their victories at the Slam on the weekend. And we are also joined by 1998 Olympic gold medalist and a member of the Sportsnet broadcast team, Joan McCusker. All this and more this week, but first... Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. So before we get started, if you've ever wondered how they get those nice graphics into the ice at Grand Slams at the World Championships and at Nationals in Canada and the U.S., well, the answer is provided by Jedi's, whose in-ice graphics from Easy and Textile logos to the world-famous Jedi's Full House product are great ways for clubs to enhance the appearance of their ice and to generate much-needed additional sponsorship revenues. Easy and Textile logos are the industry standard for high-quality logos and they're a snap to install. Meanwhile, Jedi's customizable Full Houses are a relatively new way for clubs to grow sponsorship revenues by offering maximum brand recognition to those sponsors. No one can match Jedi's design services, quick turnaround times, and product quality, which is why Jedi's products are valued by major organizations such as Curling Canada, the World Curling Federation, USA Curling, and Sportsnet, who trust Jedi's to provide the products they require for their high-profile events. Jedi's. They bring ice to life. Arnold Ashton's passion for curling, along with his natural propensity to explore new ways to better the game, led him to a whole new world of product design. As a result, all Ashton Curling Supplies products are designed with the curler in mind. Ashton's patented ultralight RDS technology makes it possible to change and customize their slider with any combination of sliding discs. With equal resistance on all sides, the circular design that guarantees a straight slide. These circles have also been designed larger and with stabilizing bars from the outer unit sole to produce the most stable straight sliding shoe the world has ever seen. Go to www.ashim.com for brooms, apparel, and revolutionary designed footwear. And if you're considering buying new curling shoes, you must consider the rotator sole. It's the sole of the future. As mentioned earlier, the second Grand Slam event of the season took place last week in Nova Scotia as the world's best curling teams competed in the Canadian Beef Masters. Team Hasselberg impressively won their second consecutive slam title of the season at an event where they really didn't have their A game having to win a tiebreaker and then defeating Jennifer Jones in a quarterfinal game that they likely should have lost on their way to an 8-7 win over Team Holman in the women's final. Agnes Nokenbauer, the second on Team Hasselberg, joined from the hack moments after getting off the ice following the final. Agnes, the final of the Masters between your team, Team Hasselberg, and Team Holman was quite the game with both teams exchanging the lead throughout. It also provided proof once again that it's important not to give up even when you are two down coming home. Yeah, uh, this was a tricky game and uh, both teams were struggling, struggling a little bit with the ice condition. Uh, and we said we had to be patient and wait for the right moment to, uh, to make the great punch. And uh, we never stopped believing that we could take three in the last end. And uh, we went all in for it. You just provided me with a terrific segue to my next question. Neither team seemed to be at their best in this game in the final. I'm taking from what you just said that the ice was a bit trickier than it had been earlier in the week. It was a little bit different. I think it was uh, mainly because it was only play on one sheet. And also it, it got pretty warm outside during the day and it rained all night. So I think it was pretty humid actually. Uh, so a little bit frosty, but guys makers did the best they could, and 
um, yeah, you always have to take manage over that anyway, so. Your team had a really solid end to the week, obviously, defeating Anderson, Jones, Scheidegger, and Holman after starting the event 2-2 two two in the round robin. I know you're mostly focused on your game and not necessarily paying much attention to who you're playing against, but it certainly had to feel good to play well against so many of the other top teams in the world on the way to your second Grand Slam title of the season. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we think this is the best way to win. When we were diamond, down in the tiebreaker, we only saw that game and um, really wanted to pull off a great game to take ourselves to playoffs, to be ready for playoffs. And uh, when we did that, we really felt that we could go all the way, but we still had to take one game at a time. And, and that, uh, that is what made us come out with a win today. And finally, Agnes, it's been a really good 12 months for your team. You've won Olympic gold, finished second at the World Championships, and have now won the first two slam titles of the season. What are the biggest differences between the team you are now and the team you were a year ago? I think we have worked a lot with our game plan, and it has made us feel a lot more confident in our play. Um, And also, uh, we played a lot of games last season uh, that gave us uh, more experience. We played a lot of uh, tough games for uh, our way to the Olympics and at the Olympics, and now we are, uh, yeah, we we gained some more confidence and we are brave enough to to win the finals now. In the men's event at the Canadian Beef Masters Grand Slam, John Epping won his fourth career Slam title by defeating Team Cooey seven to four in the men's final. With the win, Epping became the third member of his team to complete the career Grand Slam, which includes the four major slams: the Masters, the Canadian Open, the National, and the Players Championship. Epping joined from the hack to discuss his team's win and also to discuss his new lineup. John, obviously a big win for your team on the weekend at the Masters Grand Slam. Now, I realize that individually your team has pretty much been there, done that. But how much does a title at a Grand Slam early in the existence of a new lineup give a team like yours that extra bit of confidence that you are progressing well and somewhat justifies the process you've established to guide your team through your first season together? Yeah, well, it's, it's big for us. Um, you know, that's, you know, the nice thing is we come on way early in a season, that, you know, leads to some wins, and we've, um, you know, we've we've obviously talked about some things, uh, altered some things in the first five weeks from you know when we started the season, and you know, really, this is just you know just the start for us. There's still lots of things for us to iron out and, and to continue to build and grow as a as a team. But what this does is just gives us some extra confidence, and you know, just to play some big games together, face some high pressure situations early in a season, just to see how each other reacts in that, and and that's uh, I think that's really big, and, and I think is actually the most important thing is to. Uh, is to see how we reacted under that. Reports out of Truro on the weekend was that the weather changed overnight uh, before you played the semifinal and final on Sunday. I spoke to Agnes Nockenbauer of Team Hasselberg, and she said that the ice was a bit trickier on Sunday. Did your team experience something similar, especially in the final when there was only one game on the ice, and how long did it take you to get a good read on the new ice conditions? Yeah, well, I mean, it didn't take us long to you know to catch on to the ice. We, we saw that the frost was building up, and obviously it was warm and, uh, and rainy outside, and then that would have... Uh, that would have been played some uh, havoc for the uh, for the for the ice crew, but yeah, we we managed it really well. We knew the spots that we we wanted to throw. We there was definitely a few more, let's say, little kind of slight, and they came on both sides of uh, you know of, of the teams. Uh, you know, Kui had a few, and and we had a few, and uh, you know they they seemed to even out in the end. All week, the ice was uh, you know was fantastic. You had a tremendous front end at the end of the last Olympic cycle, but this season you've added arguably one of the top two or three front ends of the past 25 years in Brent Lang and Craig Saville. I know it's still early, but how have you changed as a skip with Brent and Craig now on board? Have you had to make any adjustments in the way you like to call the game with Brent and Craig in the lineup? 
you know, I wouldn't say much has changed as far as the way we, you know, approach games. And, you know, that's just their added, you know, added experience in, uh, you know, in pressure situations and big events. What, you know, what they bring as, as individual players, their communication is big for Matt and myself. But, you know, I, I wouldn't say that, that we've approached anything different, coming together to form a new uh, a new team and working, you know, and working off of that instead of getting into that, uh, let's see, idea of it's like, a, you know, a two and two kind of thing. And finally, John, you've been through a few Olympic cycles as a player now. You've achieved a lot in the last cycle and you've now added some significant experience to the lineup. How has that impacted your approach for the season? Are you more relaxed than you have been when you were a little younger or were you pumped this past off season to get things going with the new team? Yeah, for sure. You know, definitely, uh, we're definitely looking forward to having, uh, you know, and, and Craig come on when you have with the resume and, and all their accomplishments. It's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I was, I was really pumped to, uh, to have them on board. And I think teams, you know, just a lot of teams have shelf lives and, and you'll, you know, you see that, uh, some teams kind of get a little stale and need to change. And I'm sure that's, you know, that happened with a lot of teams. And, you know, for, for me, it just felt like, uh, this was a you know something that was need to be done, and uh, I thought Brent and, and Craig would be great additions. And, and so far, you know, we've done well with uh, without uh, choice. In other action on the World Curling Tour this weekend, Sarah Work and her team from Chilliwack defeated Kim Slattery of Vernon five to one in the women's final at the Kamloops Crown of Curling, while Sean Geal and his team from Kelowna won their second title of the season by defeating Josh Berry eight to five in the men's final in Kamloops. In Whitby, Ontario, Chelsea Brandwood of Toronto defeated Unchi Gim of Korea to win the Gord Carroll Curling Classic, while in Sarnia, Ontario, John Wilsey defeated Mark Fenner of Minnesota in the final of the Huron Reprographics Oil Heritage Classic. In Europe, Willie Mackel of Finland won the men's event at the Latvia International Challenger by defeating Harry Lill of Estonia 8-4 in the final, while Maggie Wilson of Scotland and her team won the women's event with a 9-3 win over Una Kauste of Finland. And finally on the weekend, the team of Komarova and Goryachev won an all-Russian final at the World Curling Tour Mixed Doubles Classic in Geising, Germany, defeating the team of Biktimarova and Gajikanov 6-5 in the final. If you're looking to buy some new curling equipment, look no further than Hardline Curling. For those who play with the ice pad, they know it's the best curling brush. Whether it's the U.S. Olympic gold medalist Team Schuster, or women's Olympic gold medalist Sweden's Team Hasselberg, and their countrymen Team Adine, or how about the top Canadian teams, Team Gushu, Kevin Cooey, Brad Jacobs, Team Carruthers, Kerry Anderson, and Chelsea Carey. The list is endless. And Hardline is not just curling brooms. They offer a full range of curling equipment to get you playing your best, including shoes, apparel, and the Pro Slide Delivery Aid designed by Reed Carruthers. Visit their website at www.hardlinecurling.com and see why the top teams in the world choose Hardline for their equipment needs. Before we move on to our final guest of the week, I wanted to remind you that from the hackiest part of the Curling Podcast Network, along with the Two Girls in the Game podcast and the Curling Legends podcast. If you haven't subscribed to those two podcasts yet, you should really check them out. I also wanted to tell everyone that I just received my Women of Curling calendar, and it was nice to see the involvement of several women that have been guests on From the Hack. I wanted to give a huge shout out to all the women that participated in this project in support of such good causes, and I'd encourage you to purchase your calendar from any of the women involved. Our final guest this week is 1998 Olympic gold medalist and a member of Sportsnet's curling broadcast team, Joan McCusker, who joined me to discuss the Masters Grand Slam and a few of the other top stories from the start of the curling season. Joan, how impressive was it to watch Team Hasselberg win an event uh, intro, defeating Anderson, Joan, Scheidegger, and Holman? At a slam, despite the fact they didn't seem to have their A game for most of the week. 
<laughs> well, it's very, very impressive. Like clearly, at the beginning of the weekend, uh, they were they were struggling whether it was with you know strategy or with the conditions or just not playing well. But uh, you know, this team continues to rise in terms of of improving and persevering. And you know, there's no give up in that team. You can see that they're very, very driven. They work really, really hard, and that hard work is paying off. And and part of it isn't just in an attitude. You know, they, they, they care a lot about their performance on the ice, and they analyze it to the nth degree. They, they're always looking for ways to improve, and they get input from, I think, a whole bunch of other places. They're really into the new analytics and looking at their performance, where their weaknesses are, and, and analyzing their opposition, and how can they make the most out of the matchup. So it's, uh, it is very, very impressive. They're uh, definitely a, a team that is continuing to rise, and you get that kind of feeling that once, uh, you know, a month ago when they won their very first slam, it was kind of hard to believe that they hadn't won one yet, uh, that now that it just kind of it may lead to many, many more. Um, so it was a very uh, impressive come-from-behind tournament and come-from-behind win in the final. Now, you played on one of only a handful of women's teams that have been on the type of hot streak that Team Hasselberg has been on for the past 12 months. They've won Olympic gold, they finished second at World, second at the inaugural Curling World Cup, and they've now won the first two slams of the season. How difficult is it to maintain that level of play, considering all the distractions that come with being Olympic champs? Well, I think for this team, they feel like they still have a chip on their shoulder, like they still have something to, to prove. Like Despite all the, the things that you just listed as their achievements, they still have other teams that are ahead of them. <laughs> Jennifer Jones, Rachel Holman, to name a couple. You know, like there's still so many good women's teams uh, in that top ten in the world that, you know, it's very hard these days to be ranked number one and stay number one. And I think they take that very seriously. They, they were very new to that number one ranking. It took them, they had to struggle and persevere and improve to get, they just got there at the Olympic gold. Like, their timing was perfect. And so now it's, it's what else can we achieve and what else can we do? So they, they feel like they haven't won it all yet, which is uh, pretty scary for the rest of the field, that they, that they would continue to want that uh, world championship and several grand slams and to dominate. So they still got a ways to go to say that they are uh, number one in the world. I'm sure you got a chance to watch uh, Caitlin Jones and her team play during the week in Truro. The reigning world uh, junior champ certainly did not look out of place playing some of the world's top teams, uh, defeating Tiranzoni, Anderson, and Homan along the way. What did you like most about that young team, and do you think their game would measure up if they were to play more frequently on the World Curling Tour and at Slams in the near future? Well, there, you know, first of all, it was just a fantastic story, like how fun for them um, to be playing in a Grand Slam with uh, the Burgess Cousins are from the Truro area. So they had all of these uh, family and, of course, just even the local support there uh, cheering on every shot. And, of course, they know they, that they they are loved whether they win or lose. So they've, they've got that great underdog status. They gelled quickly as a team to rise to winning the Canadian Junior Tam- Championship. Uh, and then they had to make some changes, right, the, the, the new third that came in. Caitlin Jones is accustomed to 
uh, changing teens because she has moved around the country. She's lived all over with her father being an RCMP. She has played at a pretty high junior level and had to change teams several times. I think she's very good at figuring out what her role is and helping a team uh, adjust to that high performance. So they, they certainly, they came in thinking, well, we just want to have some fun. We want to learn from this experience. And they started to make a lot of shots. And guess what? When you start to make a lot of shots and you've got nothing to lose, then you start to make even more. And I know I interviewed her after, uh, after she beat Rachel Holman, after the, the beautiful double. And she was, uh, you know, I expected to, see, to uh, be interviewing this athlete that would be just like shaking with nerves. She was not. She was very poised. She was happy. She was very well-spoken and talked about staying in the moment. And uh, if they can continue to do that, Stay in the moment. They, this was a wonderful experience. There is a big, big learning curve between, of course, a junior championship and moving into those women's ranks. But, uh, you know, certainly Rachel Holman did it. And Hasselborg did it. Stick with it. And I think this certainly this team has got a, a bright future. I also want to touch base with you on a couple of other women's teams that were in Truro on the weekend and have had pretty different starts to their seasons. Uh, Team Anderson have been lights out so far, winning four events already, but failed to qualify for the playoffs in their first slam as a team on the weekend. What's been your take on Team Anderson so far this season? Have you been surprised at how they've been able to hit the ground running and find success from the outset, despite the fact that three of the four players are adapting to new positions? Uh, well, I think everybody was surprised by, you know, like how much success they had. You know, they had a really heavy start to the year. They played a lot. They have played a tremendous amount, probably the most out of, out of almost any of the teams out there. And have, to have the, the amount of success that they had so early had to, be, had to have been such a, a confidence boost. Uh, I think when we all looked at, at the, the team put together, uh, nobody questioned the ability of Val Sweeting to move to third. And it was, it was Val's idea. You know, you, you've interviewed uh, Carrie Anderson about how they put that team together. It was their idea to move to these positions. That's really the key to when you're making, making a new team is that everybody needs to buy into that they're playing the right position and they're not second-guessing the other members of the team. And that's what this team did. They bought into, uh, I'm going to go, you know, Shannon Burchard and, and Brienne Mayer, I'm going to go in and play front end. So what did they do all summer? was work out, get fit, do some technique on sweeping, work really hard, do some early training camps to work on their new roles, and it, it paid off in spades. It paid off early. And they made it to a tiebreaker here uh, at the Masters, but they had played, like, a whole flack of weekends in a row. Like, I think they were tired. I really do. I think they needed the week, this next weekend off, and then we're going to see them come back. Uh, with with a vengeance going into the the next slam, so uh, they're very impressive. Is it is it tremendously surprising? Uh, yeah, it's a little surprising to be that successful that early, but not you know nobody. Everybody saw Carrie Anderson and Val Sweeting combination coming that that was going to be good. How fast they got good was maybe the surprise. I also want to touch on Team Sinclair, who, after finishing fourth at Worlds and winning the Champions Cup last season, seemed to be one of the up-and-coming teams in women's curling, but they made a lineup change at second and have gone 12-18 and 18 to start this season, qualifying in only one of six events. What's the key for a player like Jamie Sinclair to not get frustrated? Just as it seemed her team was starting to peak, the lineup got tweaked, and that can be frustrating for a player, especially when you're playing in the high-performance program in the United States, 
where control of the final lineups uh, for the teams within the program is uh, typically made by the coaches and directors and not necessarily by the players themselves, although the players do have some input. Well, uh, for one thing, they've got both of the uh, the twins are playing now. So she actually has a, two new players on her team. Alex Car- Carlson is moving into that fifth position. So the, uh, the whole weekend, Taylor and Sarah both played. And I think that is the team going forward. So there is two people that have changed on this team. This is essentially a brand new team. And that's what you're alluding to. Now, I'm an avid fan of your show. And <laughs> I've listened to lots of interviews. And I, I listen to the other podcast, Two Girls in a Game, and Curling Legends as well. And I know Jamie has spoke about just what you're talking about in an interview. And she said, I buy into the U.S. Curling Association's high performance program, which means that if changes are made, it's for the four-year cycle. And I, I believe that we have in the people that ha- are in consulting and putting together these combinations of teams. So for her, she has to believe in the, in the four-year cycle and the commitment that this new team has the potential to even surpass some of her other results. She'd have to think that uh, to buy into and be part of that uh, high-performance program. I think what last year did for Jamie was show her that she is capable of playing at the elite level. I think it was just a huge, huge confidence boost for her and all the members of that team. And now what they choose to do with it in this next four years is is really up to them, and they they have committed into the the new team that has the potential to do even more. In the men's final, Team Epping defeated Team Cooey 7-4, and it seemed during that game, like some of the players, Kevin Cooey in particular, were having trouble with their draw weight. Did you get a sense that the changing weather conditions in Truro from Saturday to Sunday impacted the ice conditions, forcing the players to adapt quickly in the most important game of the week? Yes, yeah, absolutely. The Sunday, the, the difference from Saturday night, which I think was 3 degrees, like it was slushing that night, uh, to Sunday noon, which went, I think it went up to 16, and, and misty, and the humidity was like 90-some percent. Uh, so, yes, there was a lot of humidity in the building. I thought, actually, the ice makers did a really good job to limit the amount of frost that was creeping in, considering the conditions. I thought they did really well. But, yes, it was definitely difficult, and that's curling, right? That is curling. <laughs> there is not such thing as a perfect piece of ice and yes as a competitive curler in a final you want consistency you just don't always get it and sometimes you know when you move a draw path over six inches it's a completely different path and it might be 12 feet heavier and that's not an exaggeration that is (laughs) the truth and that is the difficulty of this level of play is adjusting to those changing ice conditions. It wouldn't be their first time that that the team Cooey would have played on those kinds of conditions. And sometimes you win on those and sometimes you don't. I know I was joking with uh, Craig Savile and Matt Cam uh, last night, Sunday night, uh, talking about, you know, like even one side of the ice, they didn't play for several ends. They didn't play the one side. So then it becomes, you know, it's just a total gas for draw weight. And it's, you know, which team is going to get caught on being for first to draw on the side that hadn't been played. They didn't make any excuses. I don't think the teams, you know, there was no blame um, in terms of 
you know, the ice is, is a certain way, it was, they didn't adjust to that. And it, was def- it, it became difficult for sure. Now, with due respect to Pat Jansen and Tim March, who are both excellent curlers, how much do you believe John Epping will benefit from having a front end in Brent Lang and Craig Saville that have essentially experienced everything there is to experience in the sport of curling, short of winning an Olympic medal, and are so familiar with each other as a front end? Right. I, I think it's huge. And I think, it, as you said, no disrespect for Jansen and March, who were fantastic. They were great sweepers. But I think the big difference between those two front ends is that John would have more respect for Lang and Savile's input in strategy. I think that they, they add a, a vote, and there's times in games that John needs to be talked out of playing, you know, really, really low percentage shots. And I think uh, that whole vote of confidence from Lang and Savile is very, very important. Brent Lang is a very, very smart uh, strategist. He's also really good with managing the emotions of the the person that's in the hack. You know, what to say to them, you know, to, to help them make the shot. He's very good at that. And I think uh, I think that's having an immediate effect on John Epping. And finally, Joan, Team Gushu and Team Jennifer Jones both basically flew directly from an event in China to Nova Scotia to participate in the slam last week. Both teams did well early, but seemed to hit a wall when they got to the weekend. Jen, in particular, made a couple of uncharacteristic shots late in her quarterfinal game against the eventual champs, Team Hasselberg, to lose that quarterfinal. I know that neither of those teams would use it as an excuse, but did you also get the sense that they perhaps hit the wall a little towards the end of the event after such a busy two weeks? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you're right. They're, they can't say it, but, but you and I can. <laughs> you and I can say, man, oh, man, that must have been exhausting. And, and then you, you start to lose that, that focus. Uh, they looked really good, as usual, per you know, their normal selves. Don't get me wrong. They looked really, really, really good uh, in this event. And, yeah, they, they ended up kind of uh, hitting the wall late in the event. I, I definitely would attribute some of that to fatigue. And that does it for the From the Hack podcast for week 11 of the 2018-2019 curling season. A big thank you to each of our guests, and also a big thank you to you for listening. I'm Frank Rock, and this is From the Hack.